Welcome to the Informed Life. In each episode of this show, we find out how people organize information to get things done. I am your host, Jorge Arango. My guest today is Boone Yu Chu. Boone is a strategic designer at Elsevier and a leader in IXDA, the Interaction Design Association. In this conversation, we delve into Rome research, which Boone uses to take notes and tame an ever-evolving multidimensional beast of knowledge, to use his memorable phrase. Please remember, rating or reviewing the show in Apple's podcast directory helps other folks find it. And in order to make it easy for you to do so, I've provided a link in the show notes. So if you have a minute and you're enjoying the show, please take time to give us a rating. And now, without further ado, Boon YouTube. Boon, welcome to the show. Hi. Thanks for having me, Jorge. I'm very excited to have you here. For folks who might not know you, would you mind please introducing yourself? Sure. So I'm a principal level strategist and designer. I currently work at a publishing and analytics company called Elsevier. And I work within the publishing part of the business where I try to help my colleagues and the company at large figure out how to improve our user experience across all our different platforms and products and services. I'm also a part of a community of designers called the Interaction Design Association or IXDA for short. Through that, I've played a number of different roles. I've served on the board for a number of years. I've volunteered through a number of initiatives. But mostly, I've been running our local chapter in London, IXD in London, for many, many years, along with a number of really dedicated volunteers. It's a small group of us. And we typically host events around topics of strategy and design here in London. But now I guess it's all global because, yeah, everyone's kind of joined us from different parts of the world since we've gone fully remote. Well, thank you for your work, particularly in, in IXDA as a member myself and having participated in uh, Interaction, the global conference. It's an amazing community. And if anyone is a designer and not a member or unaware of both the organization and the events it puts on, I strongly encourage that you all check it out. But uh, the reason I reached out to you is not directly related to the work that we share in common in, in interaction design, but because you published a post in Medium called Adding Life Back to My Notes, Rome After Four Months. And I was hoping that you would tell us a bit more about that. And for a bit of context, Rome in the title refers to the note-taking tool Rome, right? Yeah. So for the listeners here, if you want to check it out, it's romeresearch.com because the word Rome on Google might not might get you a whole bunch of different things. So to find it, you need to, to use the full term. It's called Rome Research. That's, a, that's the name of the tool. So yeah, I mean, a lot of people have been talking about Rome for a while now since its beginnings. I can't even remember when they launched the tool. And it's surprising because 
since its inception, it hasn't really changed much in terms of its core functionality and its look and feel. It's added a whole bunch of, I, I suppose, creature comforts, you know, luxury features that make it a lot more smooth, uh, a lot more accessible as a core user. Things like the help tooltips, things like that, you know, just kind of make it easier for you to go, oh yeah, I have access to that tool. I have access to that cot key. Oh, what, you know, what if I want to use that fancy feature? What do I do? You know, it's built in little things like that to kind of maximize the benefits of what it offers. And the, I, I suppose I kind of think of it almost like Unix commands. I'm a, I used to be a former developer. And if you're a developer and you're working away on your, your little console, you're, you're, you're basically typing out commands, right? Issuing commands right into the computer as opposed to using a graphical inter interface. A lot of these tools, these commands, were written by somebody else. They were written by other developers to do specific things, you know, whether it's concatenate strings or, you know, go fetch a list of files. <laughs> it's very similar to that in that, you know, you got a whole bunch of little functionality built into the tool, but what it does really well is kind of, it doesn't force you to be overwhelmed by the sheer amount of that functionality. It kind of hides it quite nicely through the use of keystroke commands or little kind of text-based features that can be accessed if you understand what the keys are, what the commands are. It almost feels very developer-friendly. So it lends itself for someone who loves to just be stuck to the keyboard all the time and everything's at the tip of your fingers. It's also a outlining tool. And so it's not the first outlining tool that's occurred in the market. There have been a number of really fantastic outlining tools that's been around for a while and has had huge numbers of users and fans using them. Things like Omni Outliner is a really fantastic one. I'm not a user of it, but I know that it's a really popular tool. And basically an outliner is a supercharged bullet list. Everything is structured as bullets. Every sentence when you hit enter becomes a bullet. And then if you hit tab, it becomes a sub-bullet. You know, it's literally just bullets everywhere. <laughs> if you don't like using bullets, you won't like using Rome. But the benefit of having everything structured in bullets is that there's an implicit hierarchy, right? And so you know whether something exists on one level or a sub-level or a sub-sub-level. Things kind of... You know, they have a natural kind of Petrushka doll hierarchy to them. And it incentivizes you to organize your content that way, to think in terms of the hierarchy, that structure. There, of course, are limitations to this way of working, this way of kind of an outlining way of working, because there's an overwhelming amount of hierarchy and lots of scrolling through lots and lots of bullets. And so what Rome tries to do is to build in this feature, it's called bidirectional linking, to make it possible for you to connect things to each other, whether it's words or terms or phrases, just by making them into a link. And the moment you make it into a link, it creates a page for that term that, that you've just created into a link. It creates a page for it if it hasn't already been created for you. And if it's already been created for you, then it's just a link. 
And the way it does that is that it creates the page and it also creates a link back to the original link that you created. And so it does a number of these small little things, which seems really insignificant. But when you add it up to, you know, hundreds and thousands of nodes, it's quite powerful because you don't have to manually link every single thing. Imagine trying to recreate the entire Wikipedia. It's just going to be insane. So, you know, this cuts down the amount of effort uh, very severely. Right. I'm glad you brought up Wikipedia there because when you were describing it, I was thinking that it's something of a cross between an outliner, like you said, and a wiki, right? In this sense that you um, you alluded to the fact that you can very easily create inline links that generate new outline nodes somehow. And I also say that for a kind of episode-long explanation of Rome research, we had Rob Hayesfield on the show in episode 43 talking about it. And since we recorded that, I've become a Rome user myself. So I'm a little more versed in how it works. I wanted to quote back to you a couple of passages from the Medium post that stood out to me. You said that, uh, and I'm quoting here, I use Rome for what it's good at, note thinking. And uh, I'm curious about this phrase, note thinking. What is note thinking? So remember the, what I mentioned earlier before where this kind of tool, Rome and, and Outliners, lend itself really well for people who really get love to stick to their keyboards. And that process means that you don't have to worry too much about what the tool, what you need to do to the tool because you're already familiar with using the keyboard. All you have to just be comfortable with are the commands to make use of the tool itself. And so there's some memorization to familiarize yourself with, but basically you're just typing. And it just kind of lets you sink into that Zen space a little bit easier. And once you get used to that, actually you get to a point where you then consider or maybe reconsider what can I use this tool for? What's what's the strengths, right? It advertises itself as a what is it? I have to go to the website to see it. A note-taking tool for connected thought or something like that. And so working backwards from the original intent of the tool, I mean, it has been designed that way. I say there must be some basic assumptions on how the founders or the people who create the, the tool has intended for it to be used. And originally when I started using Moom, I started using it very much like how I use Evernote at the moment, which, you know, there are, there are folders and categories and notebooks and things are in boxes, which are then in more boxes. And and I actually tried using Rome like that. I, I tried to create my own pages, which were like boxes and put boxes in the boxes. And, you know, it, it was very natural for me to say, let me try bringing over that setup over to Rome. And it didn't work. It, it, just, it just made it more complicated. And I said, there's this thing in front of me. It's called a daily page, a daily note page. It's in front of me. And I'm like, it must be telling me I, I need to just use this and not worry too much about all the rest of the stuff. There are no folders. There's no categories, no tags. You know, it's literally like just things get staring at me. And that's 
where you put your notes into. It's in this daily note page. And gradually I found myself falling to that uh, way of working. And I almost exclusively now capture all my notes on the daily note page. And the process of that doing it is it's basically kind of cutting away a lot of the extraneous stuff so that I can literally just focus on capturing notes. That's kind of part of the note thinking thing I'm talking about. The outlining also helps because it gives me something very basic to work with and I don't have to think about the underlying structure that I need to set up. It's automatic by default. It's a hierarchy, basically. If I can't work with a hierarchy, I have bidirectional links. And so between these three things, the daily notes, the outlining and the hierarchies, and the bidirectional linking, which then incentivizes certain type of information curation, which are all just terms anyway, you're reusing your own content as information nodes, right? You're not having to create a separate node and call it something, a formal thing, like a category label. You, you use your content as nodes. I, I guess I'm using a, a network metaphor here, nodes and links, right? Your notes are nodes in a network. And that cuts away a lot of the extra stuff. And you're just focusing on creating nodes, essentially. So I mean, I'm hearing two things there that go into this notion of note thinking. One is the lower friction or perhaps the ability to get into a state, kind of like a state of flow, right? Yeah. Due to the fact these keyboard-driven commands that you can just start typing in, and there's, I'm reading now into it, you don't have to be clicking around and, and pecking at a UI somehow. It's like you're thinking with your fingers somehow. And the other aspect to this that I'm hearing you say there is that you are somehow liberated from the top-down hierarchical structure that is inherent in many, let's call them traditional note-taking apps, which themselves are modeled on things like three-ring binders with their sections, right? Metaphors, yeah. They're, they're like metaphors from the real world, I think. And they've been ported over to the digital space. Folders and categories are things that are instantly familiar to a lot of people. And so they become a lot more accessible for most people. And I think that's kind of the allure of these tools. That they become kind of more general audience, if that makes sense. Whereas a tool like Rome has none of that. It, it, it is quite a flat tool. And you mentioned the word top-down. I'm not quite sure whether I would find a tool like Evernote a top-down tool. I would say that it's a tool with furniture in it. <laughs> you know, you go into a room or a house, it's got furniture in it. It, it affords certain use cases because these objects are familiar to you. A folder, a category, a tag, you know, these are familiar terms brought from the real world into the digital world. And so people kind of go, oh, okay, I can kind of use it like that. I think it's only when you start to struggle with scale and certain types of very advanced use cases in the software and digital space where information is so... I don't know, it's loose, it's messy, 
it's emergent it's kind of you know it's it's all of that right where they're not objects they're not physical tangible things you can't put them into real boxes or real folders they're just abstract constructs you make it up somebody invented these things and they exist in this in the screen you know um, people just decided to call them folders and then suddenly people think they're folders and like, oh no it's not really a folder i used one note for a long time and one note doesn't use the concept of folders, but it uses the concept of notebooks, which have sections in them, kind of like in a binder, right? But it's the same idea. And, and I love this idea of these things being a tool with furniture in them, things that we find familiar, like familiar affordances from the real world. Yeah. And I'm guessing that that is in contrast with something like Rome, which in many ways kind of lacks that kind of furniture. So maybe it's hard, a little harder for folks to get into. But yeah. to, uh, to your point, it gives you the ability to work on a different type of problems. And here I'm going to quote again something from the Medium post that stood out to me. You said, and I'm quoting now, forcing structure down an ever-evolving multidimensional beast of knowledge to make sense <laughs> of it is an act of futility. And this notion of an ever-evolving multidimensional beast of knowledge is, that seems to me to be a different type of problem than the sort of notes that somebody would take casually with a tool like Evernote or OneNote. Could you speak more to what uh, that beast looks like, at least for you? Yeah, so I think that that beast actually resonates a lot more to the thing you said about top-down that knowledge has a certain structure, a preconceived shape because people talk about it, they reference it, they say it's this, it's that, it has a definition. And so there's a kind of formality associated with that knowledge where I suppose people will start with if they ever need to kind of think about a piece of knowledge or a topic or what have you. I suppose if you really want to go deeper and enter the scholarly world, there are you know, tons of scholars building up bodies and bodies upon bodies of knowledge, which also form a kind of top-down type of structure, almost telling people this is what it is, right? There's no argument about it. Maybe it's not quite to that extent, but you know, there's a kind of no known about knowledge. I can't remember where I've heard it, but I've heard it multiple times, and I've definitely heard it from the information and architecture community. This thing where information doesn't exist on things, they exist in people's heads. And knowledge comes from that. It comes from people's heads. And so if it comes from people's heads, and people's heads are always thinking about things in different ways all the time, then it can't be that top-down hierarchy all the time. It has to live in this space where it's always changing depending on the context or the situation or the perspective or whatever it is, right? That's what I mean by the beast, right? It's always dynamic in people's minds. And that's actually what happens when you're writing notes. You know, you've got all these thoughts that are flying in your head because of the way our brains work. They're associative and then there's all kinds of signals and material that's in front of you and either you're thinking about or whatever, right? 
it's recent or there's serendipitous. They come from all sorts of places. It's hard to it's hard to control that. And I think that's what the beast is, right? There's this sense that it, it kind of exists on its own and you can't really control it, even though it's part of you. The distinction that comes to my mind is between something like a linear stream of thought where one idea leads logically to the next and there's a clear sequential connection between them and something more perhaps free form where a thought might spawn several other possible lines of thinking and there's no particular shape up front. I think the phrase you used is preconceived shape when talking about top-down knowledge versus something that sounds more like emergent knowledge as you start making sense of a problem domain by discovering connections that perhaps may not have been obvious in the get-go. Is that is that a fair take? Yeah, there's the stuff that you capture, and that has a structure because you've chosen to capture it in a certain way. And actually, that structure itself doesn't really matter. Uh, you can decide to capture it wherever way you want. But I think that what Rome allows you to do really well is find the associations quite easily. And regardless of how you have chosen to document your content based on the structure that you've used, right? Whether it's kind of... So I'll give you an example, right? Recently, over the few months that I've been using Rome, I've developed a certain habit of capturing notes a certain way. I come across a lot of different things, websites or articles, quotes, videos, podcasts. And so whenever I come across a thing like that, I will just literally go, you know, I'll type out article double conan, which turns into an attribute. It's a Rome feature. And I'll type out the title of that thing, whether it's a podcast or an article. And then I'll literally like write out a whole bunch of supplementary stuff, like referential stuff, like podcast, something, 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 Jorge Arango, you know, Disinformed Life. And then I'll, I will not start to create a sub bullet just yet. I'll literally continue writing and then copy and paste the URL there just because I want to contain that whole thing in that block. It's a room. Every bullet is a block in room. They call it a block. Uh, the reason why they call it a block is because they, there's a lot of really cool features they build into what that bullet does. So it's not just a bullet and a bunch of text. It actually does a lot of cool little things. So that's the reason why they've called it a block. But what that allows me to do is, number one, it helps me worry less about the structure of it. Because what Rome allows you to do is it allows you to search for blocks and pages. And when, when it returns a result, it returns a, a result of pages and, and blocks. And when you scroll down the list of blocks, the, the search results give you a list of the visibility of the parent of the block. So you know what it's being referenced from. And an easy way to kind of open up the substructure of that block if there are more sub-bullets and more sub-blocks, I suppose, yeah. Which then makes it easy for you to kind of move from one part of your notes to another part of your notes just for a simple search result. That means you don't have to worry too much about how you structure your notes. And in this case, it's incentivized me to kind of create these sort of 
single line references that if I wanted to, I could add a sub bullet and say, actually, I want to write a note underneath this one podcast because I thought was really interesting. You know, Kirstini, who's talking about Devin Think, I wanted to write a few notes on that. Oh, he referenced a bunch of tools. I'll add that underneath the bullet. You know, I might do that. And sometimes I might do it in a way that's inconsistent with the way I, I capture other notes. But I prefer working like that because then I don't have to worry too much about the structure because I can't memorize too many things. You published this in April of 2021, and in the title of the post, you mentioned that you had been using Rome at that point for four months. We're recording this at the end of November, so I'm guessing by that timeline that you're coming up on a year of working this way or so. And I'm wondering how this way of working, if any, has changed how you approach your work and just taking notes in general? I have some real life examples or case studies, little stories that I've, I should write it down, but it just happened kind of in the last week or so where people have asked me permission, hey, can I share the notes that you captured during that meeting? It contained a whole bunch of really good material that we, we were discussing on that call, I want to share it with the stakeholders, right? Over the years, I've developed a skill of being able to capture notes live in a session through another hobby or activity that I, that I do, which is sketchnoting. And sketchnoting, for me, is the art of capturing notes in real time. Fundamentally to me, that, that's the core skill that I've gained from that habit. Uh, and I've applied that a lot of the, the kind of real-time capturing, paying attention and synthesis of notes in real-time to Rome as well. And it, it, I think it's a natural tool for people who capture notes live because it kind of gives you the basic components to kind of capture just enough of the right information and not have it too messy, but not worry too much about some of the extra stuff like formatting, which tends to eat into your time when you're time pressed in a, on a Zoom call and you've got you know 12 stakeholders all kind of talking to each other. <laughs> yeah, so, so I've been capturing a lot of meeting notes all exclusively using Rome, anyone and everyone. And I'll have a tag for meeting basically. And if I wanted to, I could really look for a meeting note very quickly. And that's changed, I think, a lot of the ways we have worked. It's not just me, but we across the business have been working because we have an information challenge. I work with stakeholders who, who work across multiple departments in the business and each unit has certain ownership of over certain platforms and they all run various projects within their own domains. There's a lot of cross-functional collaboration. And so the information that I capture on these meeting notes and beyond really, really important because I will never know like when a piece of information will start to surface again. And I also need a way to find it really quickly just through uh, associative search. This person said this when or about this project, you know, or something associated with it. Is it somebody that they've been working with? You know, it's something associative that I'll try to capture in my notes so that when I refer back to it, it's easy for me to find. And Rome's search capability is pretty fast. Like it's able to kind of fetch back a huge volume of these notes 
So it kind of lends itself for those use cases. I want to encourage you to write them up and publish them because I do think that it would be valuable for folks to see how other people are using this stuff. If and when you do, where is the best place for folks to find that? Like, where can folks follow up with you? I usually interact with people on LinkedIn. It's a bit old school, but it's linked to my professional profile and I'm relatively active there. I used to use Twitter a lot, but I don't use Twitter so much now. But if you want to, you can find me, search for Boone YCH. So it's basically my name with the letters YCH behind. That's my Twitter call sign. Or you can search me on LinkedIn, use my full name, Boone Yu Chu. Or I run monthly events through IXDA London. We have a meetup page, meetup.com slash IXDA London. And yeah, if you join our events, just ping me and say, hey, you know, I, I came across the podcast you did with Hore. Yeah, we're a pretty informal and friendly group. It's always up for meeting new people. And obviously, I try to publish on Medium. I don't, uh, I'm not as good getting a large amount of stuff up there, but I'm trying to build up that habit. Well, fantastic. I'm going to include links to all of those in the show notes, and I look forward to hearing more from you on uh, how it's going, uh, you know, with using these tools to tame the beast. Thank you so much, Boone, for being uh, on the show with us. Thanks, Jorge. Pleasure. And thank you for listening. As always, you can find notes and a transcript for this episode at theinformed.life. If you'd like to be notified when new episodes come out, please subscribe to my newsletter at theinformed.life slash newsletter. And if you're enjoying the show, please rate or review it in Apple's podcast directory. This helps other folks find it. Thanks 